welcome everybody to another episode of the Dreamer Diary podcast. It is amazing what this podcast is allowing me to do in telling the stories of as as many undocumented slash documented slash advocates, just anybody who cares to hear the story of, of a dreamer. Uh, we've been touching a lot of lives, a lot of people who maybe weren't as familiar with the doc, undocumented experience, and it is because of you know just this storytelling ability that we're we're helping you know provide change to the lives of millions of people. Well, at least that's my expectation or my hope. You know, there's they say there's 11 million undocumented immigrants, and so if this podcast can can reach in some way, shape, or form to these individuals, I I hope that that's what this podcast does. And on that note. Today's episode is going to be very unique. It's going to, it's it's very special in my personal opinion for multiple reasons. One, because you know we are going into the eleventh episode, which is this one. Previous one, Carlos was telling his story of what it was like to become the first DACA dental student. He talked about his experience, the struggles that he had to overcome, the sacrifices that his parents had to make in selling, you know, what what little they had to help him reach his goal, and. Today's podcast kind of picks up on that, which is, you know, the the mental health side of that experience, because it's not easy when, you know, you go through your life thinking you're a certain way and then realizing that you're not, that you're undocumented. And now you have all these struggles and trials and, tri- and tribulations to overcome. And then when you aspire to become something like a, do- a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or a businessman or a businesswoman, um, you come across a lot of barriers that arise. And so on that note, I was reached out to by today's guest, um, and I'm gonna introduce her here in a second. She is an accomplished author. She is a professional. She is somebody who you're all gonna be like just mind blown by the fact that we were able to get her on today's podcast. So here's a little bit about who she is. Her name is Aisha Kadri. Uh, she's from Bangladesh. And she immigrated to the United States at the age of four with her family. She is Muslim. She is from Louisiana. And she's a dreamer. And she understands this experience from a different lens, which is not being Hispanic, which I think a lot of times people forget that there are undocumented members of our community that are not Mexican, that are not uh, Central American, South American. You know, they're from other parts of the world. And so I feel very humbled and very grateful to have somebody who can understand that experience from a slightly different perspective. So to continue, she's a licensed professional counselor in the states of Louisiana and Texas. Uh, She's worked in higher education in her free time. She loves to cook, uh, listen to music. She loves to go on walks and rollerblade. And so above all, like what she's really trying to do is utilize her training, her education, her platform as a as a professional to really make a change in our community. And so she's written a book called From Dust to Design, and you can pick that up uh, on Amazon. And um, Aisha, did I did I cover you well, or, or is there something I missed? No, thank you. Yes, you <laughs> covered me perfectly well. And, and um, definitely, yeah, I grew up in Louisiana from Bangladesh. Now I live in Texas, and so... Um, having two different states of experiences and in this field um, has been has been humbling. But yes, thank you so much for that great introduction. Well, thank you for joining us. And again, today's podcast is going to be special for many reasons. And so for those that are listening to today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that we've all experienced, which is the mental health effects of being undocumented. For me personally, in, many, in some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, I shared my personal experience. For those that didn't listen to it, I'll kind of restate it as well. A couple months ago, I was driving on my way to work, and I was listening to a YouTube video where we were talking, where I guess I wasn't talking, but the gal in the video was talking, and she was from, I believe, Lithuania or somewhere from like Europe, and she was residing in Chicago, and she was undocumented. She's a DACA student. She was telling her story of what it was like to go to school and to be, you know, undocumented and the struggle she was feeling. And as she was kind of telling her story, something in there resonated with me to the point that it resurfaced something that I I, I didn't know I had as 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 a, like a buried emotion or a feeling. And when that like came to the surface as I was driving, 
like my vision started to get blurry my hands started to go numb my legs started to go numb my lips i could not feel them uh i had this just really just profound headache my heart was like beating a million miles a minute and it felt like it was just going to rip out of my chest to the point where i i literally was felt like i was going to die and i was driving and i never experienced anything like that before and so I pulled the car over to the side of the road or I pulled the car over to like a little shopping center and I called a friend and I was like, Hey, I just, I, I need somebody to talk to cause I, I can't control myself. And I was hyperventilating and he was, you know, able to kind of walk me through it and to kind of calm me down. But after that experience, I realized that I thought I had buried, you know, the undocumented experience today. I'm now a citizen of the United States. But I realized that I still identify as an as a undocumented person. I still identify with the dreamer label. And I started to ask myself, well, why is that? And I realized that a lot of it is because of the experiences that I had growing up um, that were so profound in their effect on my life that I hadn't yet come to terms with how to pacify it. And I had gone to see different therapists throughout the passage of time, but the problem that I came across was there wasn't anybody who could really understand what I was going through. Um, I was mentioning to Aisha that it's it's not like you can open up a phone book and scroll down the different or the many therapist offerings and look for one that's formerly undocumented, 10 years of, of professional experience and you know has been working for whatever years with the undocumented community. It's not like you can find individuals like that. So it's really tricky to find somebody who understands that particular aspect of the of the experience. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I realized that I needed to find a healthy way, a better way to communicate those feelings that I have to hopefully help somebody else. And that's where the Dreamer Diary kind of came up was I initially wanted to just have it as a platform for me to tell my story and just let it live somewhere on the internet. So if I ever died, my offspring could be like, hey, that was my grandpa, that was my dad or whatever, and listen to what I experienced. But as I finished, you know, one of my episodes, I can't remember which one, I realized that it's not just me. There's tons, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dreamers that might be going through something similar like what I experience every day. And so that was something that I really wanted to try to find with somebody who understood my experience and maybe you know had the professional background to support the the just what i was looking for and so aisha please tell us a little bit about your story i know i kind of took a little bit of the time for me which hopefully mm -hmm. set up the conversation but yeah. please tell us about your your story where do you come from like how what yeah. was your undocumented experience sure no thank you so much for setting that um that feeling out because it's, it's honestly very, very, um, it's something a lot of us feel, you know, and um, sometimes it's hard for us to admit it or even tell others or even admit it to ourselves that we're feeling it, right? So I'm glad that you're having these conversations, that you're bringing this out into the field for others to be like, okay, I, I feel that way too. Uh, okay, I'm not alone, you know? And so a little bit about me, I came to America when I was four in 1996, yeah. Um, and so when I was four, I came here from Bangladesh with my parents and my brother. Um, we were in New York very briefly and then moved to um, Louisiana. Um, and I've grown up in Louisiana, did everything in Louisiana until I, I went to grad school in Missouri, Missouri for a little bit. But then I, I um, came back to, or went back to Louisiana until I've moved to Texas in 2020 during the pandemic. And so Louisiana really shaped a lot of how I experienced my life um, in essence of everything that we've gone through with the hurricanes, especially Hurricane Katrina, which is a part of my life story as well. And all of the experiences we've had there just because um, there wasn't a huge population of uh, South Asians from Bangladesh there. And as there is in, in, you know, New York and Chicago and Houston and things like that. And then also to, um, even as my, my DACA status came up and that was, you know, uh, introduced and whatnot, there wasn't a lot of individuals there either um, who, who identified as such. And so 
came to Louisiana, you know, grew up there, went to school there, went to school, got my bachelor's in psychology, and then went to Missouri for my uh, master's and got that uh, in mental health counseling. Um, and education for dreamers, are not that, it's not that fun, just because it's very expensive. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult for us to get scholarships. And thankfully, I was able to, um, and, but it's, it's a huge different kind of way to figure that out as well because I was considered an international student. Um, and so, you know, living my life in America for 20 plus years, and then they tell me, hey, you're going to be considered an international student, which I had no idea what that meant. Um, and so the experience of, of coming to America and kind of starting off life here it was very unknown. It was very unknown for my parents. It was very unknown for me. Um, and we didn't even know who to go to to become a little bit more educated about it or to learn a little bit more about it. That's amazing. You touched on a lot of different aspects of the Dreamer experience. Number one, yeah. coming to a new country, having to learn mm-hmm. the customs, having to just establish yourself here uh, yeah. overall, but then also aspiring to go to school, getting your bachelor's and then your master's. And I'm sure mm-hmm. within every step of that uh, decision to go get more education, there was a greater mm-hmm. calculation of how much more do I or my family have to invest? So maybe if, could, yeah. could you speak to that a little bit in terms of number one, um, how did you decide that, you know, mental health was something that you wanted to focus on? Yeah. And then number two, like, what were some of the, I guess, sacrifices that you had to kind of yeah. do or give in order to get to where you are today? Yeah. And so um, growing up in Louisiana, I mean, we grew up near Chalmette, Louisiana, um, which is across the 15 minutes of New Orleans, you know, and um the areas where we grew up were, were somewhat impoverished. They weren't in high class areas or anything like that. I think we were lower middle class, um, you know, and making ends meet, you know, and, and my dad back home in Bangladesh was a uh, textile engineer, you know, but when, when things, when people come to the United States, and they try to transfer credits in higher education, especially back then, and even now, some of those credits do not transfer as such, you know, and so whatever he had worked for back home, in Bangladesh did not transfer to much of anything here, you know? And so my entire family had to start over, um, start over with a lot of different things. And and so, you know, we were working to, my dad was working to make ends meet. My mom, you know, growing up in a culture where it's like, you get married, you have children, you take care of your family, right? And then you come to America and we came as visitors. Um, and then we decided to stay, you know, and I think my parents realized that staying here would be the best for us, you know, as far as education, as far as us doing well with our lives, as far as moving forward, um, as opposed to back home in Bangladesh. And my sister was born here a year later. And so there's a dichotomy and differences in every one of our relationships here, you know, who was born here, who wasn't, um, what experiences we've all had separately and together. Um, And so, you know, living in Louisiana, as everyone knows, hurricanes are there all the time, you know, and a pivotal experience of mine was that with Hurricane Katrina. Um, and we lost, we had a lot of water in our, in the place that we stayed. We evacuated to Houston for about six months, very much displaced, went back to Louisiana. Um, a lot of more traumatic events with, we were robbed, we stayed in a FEMA trailer um, and things like that. And so a lot of these experiences have like uh, slowly started to kind of let me see that or have me experienced all these traumas and then all my family experienced the traumas, right? And then you're talking about immigrant parents who had no idea, you know, who had no idea what to do, how to do what to do. Um, they're working to make ends meet. Um, and so no one is prepared for a natural disaster. And then you come to experience a huge natural disaster with Hurricane Katrina. And so that was a part of it. Um, Growing up with my family, you know, we all worked together to make make sure things were taken care of. You know, we all helped cook, cleaned in the house. Um, I remember cooking and cleaning since I was like 10 or 11, you know, meals and making sure that all the slack was picked up. Um, everyone just supported each other in the family. You know, I tried to make sure that things were taken care of in the only way we knew how, which we didn't know much just because we were new in America or newer in America, you know. Um, and then... So as I grew up, as I experienced all these things and I went back 
to Louisiana after we were displaced and went to, you know, went to school and high school. I just realized that I connected with a lot of people. I wanted to make people's lives easier. I wanted to be there for other people. Um, I was someone everyone always talked to. I was someone who, who made sure that someone else was uh, feeling more comfortable or feeling at ease. You know, that was just my nature, you know, um, to help as much as I could. And I realized, like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help individuals, right? And so got into psychology, um, and I decided that's what I wanted to do uh, in my last year or last semester of, college, of, of high school. You know, as you're doing all the application process. Yeah. Um, and that's when that's when the whole kind of thing kind of fell apart because that's when I realized that I was I, I wasn't considered a Louisiana resident. I was considered an international student. Um, and so, you know, whenever in our culture, being from Bangladesh, the parents really don't try to tell your children what's going on. Um, they don't want to, you know, they don't, they don't want to give you a lot of stress inherently not realizing that that unknown and uncertainty as we're becoming adults um, does in, indeed give us stress, you know, and here, here comes a part where our parents are now, you know, getting a little bit older, but we're all still becoming a little bit more of an adult in a culture where we've already assimilated a lot more than our parents have, because, you know, we've grown up in the, in the majority public school system, or I have, you know, and I was able to kind of understand the ins and outs. And my English was much, much better than my parents just because I was incorporated into speaking it so much all the time, you know. And so um, that's when things started happening where I realized, hey, my, my status is not that great right now, you know, um, and I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how and and in Louisiana, um, what ends up happening is if you have a certain GPA or a certain ACT score, you get things paid for. Um, it's called TOPS. And so they'll give you a scholarship to take care of, like, school and room and boarding to any most of the public institutions in Louisiana. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to bust my butt. I'm going to take calculus in high school. You know, I'm gonna, my GPA was as best as I could make it. You know, my ACT score was very, very high top something of the class, you know, just trying to do as much as I can to give me that because my, we wouldn't have been able to afford education otherwise, right? Yeah. Um, and then when I was told that, hey, you're not a Louisiana resident, you can't get any of that, um, things flipped and I had to I had to apply as an F1 international student. Yeah, yeah. I'm at a loss of, uh, for words here because it's amazing that what you experienced echoes what – has been the experience of Joaquin and my friend Y and yeah. Jenny and Carlos. It's amazing that like it, it doesn't matter where you're, where you're coming from, but the undocumented experience is almost, almost synonymous regardless of who you are, because you touched yeah. on a couple of things that was really interesting and it um, echoed with me personally, which was mm -hmm. the fact that when you were in high school, and you were preparing to get ready to go to college and you filled out the applications and all that stuff, you were that preparation was taking place. That's when the reality hit you that like, mm -hmm. whoa, this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was. I'm going to have to work harder because now the reality is I am undocumented. And that was definitely my case. I didn't know until my, you know, three months before I graduated that, that I, I was un undocumented. And, and yeah. I think you, you said something that was interesting in the context of what our parents, what immigrant parents try to do for their children, and that is to sh mm -hmm. shelter them in some way of the yeah. weight of being undocumented. And not that yeah. that's bad. I get the parents want to keep their kids safe. Every parent does. Mm -hmm. I'm a parent, and I mm -hmm. know that that's exactly how I'm thinking when I see my kid. But the reality is... When you don't tell your kids that, like, that's the struggle that they're going to have to go through for the rest of their life, or at least until there's a change in legislation, or in this case, DACA, um, mm -hmm. that allowed us to have somewhat of a normal experience, it's still mm -hmm. not 100% there, but it's better than nothing, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. So it's like parents wanting to do that is great and all, but yeah. failing to, to address it early on, in my personal opinion, I think that's where... I start to have these these experiences like I shared at the start of this podcast where I things surfaced that I had no idea were traumatic 
things that that affected me so profoundly mm-hmm. that I didn't ever think they would affect me. Like a perfect example is I never thought that you know growing up in a you know poorer neighborhood for for lack of a better term, um, mm-hmm. and going to the schools where teachers would hit you, where teachers teachers would say things like "dirty Mexican," like mm-hmm. that's traumatic. And I never yeah. ever would ever never ever would have connected the fact that mm-hmm. the undocumented experience for many people is that. And when people talk about the fact that oh well you know Mex- I'll use Mexicans because most people tend to use this stereotype. Well, Mexicans yeah. don't even graduate high school, you know, because they're all gang yeah. members and all this stuff. Like they only mm-hmm. see it from one perspective, but they don't understand that there's other things that have to be overcome. Mm-hmm. And you said something else that really resonated with me and I'm sure will resonate with a lot of other people which is um, you know being a part of a mixed status family having some members that are undocumented or have DACA Mm -hmm. and then some members that are citizens in Mm -hmm. one of my previous episodes I talk about this particular dichotomy in my my family because it's and and I hope this isn't true you know for you or for anybody else but for me specifically you know it was almost used as a weapon in some cases where it was like well I can go buy a house, but you can't. Or I'm going to go on a vacation to, I don't know, Mexico, but I can't, you know, because I can't leave this country. Like, it's little things like that. Or I could go to college and get scholarships and get financial Mm -hmm. aid, and you can't, right? It's those little things that creates little ruptures, in my personal opinion, in some family relationships, because how do you navigate that, right? Where do you yeah. go to get help for these types of, of situations where family members are, are, are split? Some want to yeah. help and some don't. And then it's just kind of crazy. And so when you said that, I was like, man, that that probably, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to be like, that's me. That's my family. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was difficult. And with ours is, is because Katrina happened in 2005 and I graduated high school in 2010. And so when I was about to apply for colleges, I mean, of course, I didn't know much. And, and none of my family knew much. You know, after Katrina happened, six feet of water in where we were at, much less so much more in other, other areas, you know, um, documents were lost. Deadlines were, were messed up. You know, help was affected. Yeah. Those FEMA trailers were put up like this. And, and my dad got really, really sick from that, you know. And um, just, just so many crazy things happened. And, you know, they didn't know much. And then... That didn't translate to me because I didn't, of course, know much. And then put into this position of like, okay, you should have told me at least that we didn't know anything so I could start doing the work, right? Exactly. And thankfully, my my brother, when he had applied for college, I think, because we were, um, we were my dad had uh, H1. Um, and so from the visitors mm-hmm. to H1, and then um, that was fine. And then, you know, they're now, uh, they have their stuff i'm the only one that's filled back up <laughs> now which is all right you know as long as yeah. we're good we're good you know but um but the the dichotomy is that you know we wanted to go to our siblings and our family for this support and for this feeling of safety because inherently we feel that the most safest we should feel is with our family right exactly. and then these things started coming up as you said of of well, I can do this, I can do that, and and in, even some some individuals might not have put it in our face, or might not have outright said those kinds of things. Some have probably, but some may have not said that. But the feelings are still there, right? It was like, oh man, I can't do this, but you can, you know, like yeah. I can't go here, or I can't do this, or I have to do a lot more, but you really don't have to. And as we're starting to navigate things, it just felt unfair. It felt so lonely. You know, and it felt and, and it began to feel as, as if like, OK, what have I done that this is what's happening to me, but not happening to the other people in, in my family, you know? Yeah, ex- exactly. And and that that brings up an interesting um, point, because uh, we, we had connected, Aisha and I connected um, previous to, to today's podcast, just talking about um, an article that I had read many years ago. Uh, it, it's titled "What Happened to, Nor- to Norman's Brain." Uh, you can search it on Google um, if you would like. Uh, it's from the Huffington Post, and so I'm just gonna kind of give a brief explanation as to this article. So basically, Norma was um, an, an immigrant who was a permanent resident, getting ready to become a citizen, 
And so what happened with her was for as long as she could remember, she was having difficulty sleeping. Uh, after her parents, her family would go to sleep, she'd just stay in her room awake. And she, when she could dream and fall asleep, she often dreamed of men dressed in black, uh, men, men dressed in black suits entering the home of her family and dragging her and her family, basically, you know, getting deported. And as Norma grew older, the nightmare changed. Sometimes the men in black would chase her <clears throat> or, or do other things. Uh, other times she sensed a presence that she couldn't see. So she knew it was coming after her and that she needed to run. So she started to kind of experience these types of, of um, feelings and, and night terror, so to speak. And so the fears that haunted Norma's dreams spilled into her, her reality, her, her real life. Um, the image of her father being abducted popped into her mind during interviews. She was paralyzed with anxiety uh, to the point that she struggled with it. She would have panic attacks. Uh, she had difficulty working with her coworkers because she always felt scared um, and unsafe. And unfortunately, one night after leaving Applebee's, uh, she was pulled over and she had a mental breakdown. And the police officer, and she actually demanded the police officer to shoot her. She wanted to, I guess, die by suicide, or what's that term? It's like die by cop, suicide by cop, or something like that. She was essentially trying to provoke this officer into shooting her. So they, she was arrested. She was put on suicide watch, and basically, because of that particular event. Um, she was not able to take the oath of, of citizenship. She had to experience some difficulty in, in that process. But what was interesting is as she, as she started to kind of develop <clears throat> and get help through this process, uh, she realized a couple of interesting things. And what she had what's called hypervigilance, where, uh, you know, it's where people are acutely aware of their surroundings and perpetually guarding themselves against perceived threats or dangers. So in her case, that fear of, of somebody coming to get her, somebody coming to get her parents was constantly just playing in her mind over and over and over and over again to the point where it spilled into her sleep. And it goes on to say that for Norma, she had to come to terms that she had experienced, you know, her version of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, because she was constantly in this fight or flight state. And what happens when you're constantly in the state, according to the article, uh, it says that, you know, over time, stress hormones get depleted. And the first symptoms of these depletions are physical stomach pains, headaches, as well as other physical uh, things that, that arise. As the condition progresses, mental disorders like anxiety, clinical depression uh, become common. And when they're compounded by trauma, like deportation, in her case of her, of her mom, because that's actually what happened, her mom got deported. Um, hypervigilance grew into being full, like a full-blown PTSD experience where she had nightmares, flashbacks, explosive reactions to things that would trigger the worst memory. And so it, it goes on to say here that nearly a quarter of the 248 undocumented immigrants interviewed for a study that they did in this article in one Southern California town showed signs of suffering a mental disorder, most commonly major de depressive disorder, followed by panic disorders and generalized anxiety, according to a Rice University psychology researcher, Luz Garcini. It also goes on to say that both that study and a follow-up found that younger immigrants, those between the ages of 18 and 25, were more likely to show the most profound effects. And in a separate study that was done, European researchers reached similar conclusions in a 2012 study of 391 refugees who visited a free clinic in Italy. Some 10.2% of them suffered PTSD, some from those that had migrated from war-torn countries. But the ones that most likely showed the extreme signs of PTSD were those who had not obtained permission to live legally in their new country, exposing them to unemployment, isolation, and persistent fear of arrest. And that right there is what, when I read this and when I heard um, this po a podcast that was referencing this particular article, that hit me to the core because... They were talking about people going, you know, people on a in a totally different country, totally different part of the world, experiencing the same exact feelings that I feel. And when I heard that, when I read that, like I, I couldn't help but cry because how many of us wake up constantly just afraid to be asked, hey, where are you from? Or do you have papers? Or, hey, let me see your driver's license. 
for people that are undocumented, this is a reality and it is a fear that they just cannot get rid of. And unfortunately, for those that are not of DACA protection, you know, there aren't a whole lot of options, legally speaking, to help them unless there is some type of legislation that changes. But even then, the thing that I think about is supposing that there is a law that gets enacted today, right, that they could benefit from. How do we address the fact that these are the types of experience that, experiences that these individuals have had and for how long have they had them? And that is kind of a scary thought. Yeah, it is. It is very scary, you know, just because it's it's compounded trauma from so many years. And not only is it our or these individuals experiences, but it's their it's that intergenerational trauma, too. It's what their families experience. You know, and, and even if they get to a position where things are much, much better, or they're looking up, I mean, that's that feeling of safety is probably going to allow you to address all of the other concerns that you've suppressed to just survive, you know, because that's what we've had to do. We've had to forget the fact that we were stressed or tired or lonely or angry or worried because we had to act a certain way in order to make ends meet in order to move forward, in order to do what we had to do, because we couldn't afford to feel those feelings, you know? And and hopefully if there's a feeling of safetyness that comes from any type of legislation, like I said, that safety will allow you to have these experiences of where now I can address all those years of turmoil that I've suppressed. Anxiety, PTSD, and then I think there was a depressive as well, depression, and how that PTSD kept on recurring, right? Kept on recurring years and years later until it finally was figured out for what it was and then she started to work on it. And so what trauma does is it it, it embeds in your brain and embeds in, in the, all of the cortexes in your brain and then it shows up in different aspects in your life even if it's not the same exact um, thing that happened, right? And that's why a lot of the ways that she was responding to things and being triggered that's why it was so difficult for her to move forward. And I, I, that resonated with me, too, just because of we've all gone through these immigrant experiences or many of us have gone through these immigrant experiences and we've taken on vicarious trauma from our family. Right. And that kept coming up in that in that article is that, you know, her mom, her dad, her siblings, you know, and that vicarious indirect trauma that have then came to us because we've internalized it, because we've taken it in, because it's happening in our environment that we're so encultured into, and we embody it later on. And, and it really spoke to me, and I'm really glad that she did get the help, as a, she, or she was starting to. And then at the time of that um, article, I think it was when um, DACA was, was completely shut off for a bit. Um, and thankfully now we're in an era where that's not the case. Um, you know, and I remember when I was reading the article, I remember those feelings. I remember similar feelings when that fear came up. And that's, that's what I think DACA has done is I think DACA has given us, the dreamer young people, hope. It's given us courage. It's given us um, vigor. It's given us determination. It, it, you know, mm -hmm. it's motivated many of us to become like you, professionals in our respective fields. It's given us inspiration like Carlos to go and become UCLA's first DACA dental student or like Joaquin to become the University of Utah's first and um, and I think only uh, medical student going through these types of, of experiences we're trailblazers you know in our respective ways and, and even if like there are other people that have gone through similar programs before us who had DACA or whatever we're trailblazers in our own family because yeah. a lot of times, like, we have to navigate these types of feelings and experiences on our own. You know, our parents mm -hmm. did the best they could to just get us to where where they could, like, to the end of the road. But then yeah. it was up to us to kind of take the ne next step into the unknown. And that is yeah. where things like advocacy, podcasts, YouTube channels promoting immigrant rights and individuals like yourself, Aisha, who can understand what we need to be talking about you talked about safety safety can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people but mm -hmm. i think in the context of our conversation today safety means not feeling guilty 
that this happened to me. Because as a dreamer, like, I can't tell you how many times I felt like I was a bad person because, you know, I did have to work under the table or I had to go hustle to be able to pay for things. It, there's a certain feeling of guilt in some way. And, you know, to, to realize that, like, my parents couldn't provide me the safety that I needed was very hurtful. And it still is hurtful. I mean, my parents and I were kind of on good terms. But when we talk about the fact that, like, when I, you know, bring up the fact that they were okay with me at the age of 18, continuing to remain as an undocumented person and not having a plan set up for me when I turned 18, it was almost like I felt abandoned. It was almost like, why did you bring me here? If you did not do anything to protect or to prepare a future for me and your future grandkids or whatever, then why? Why 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 am I still here? And the thing is I I have met countless numbers of of dreamer students and dreamers in general who share similar experiences. And I wanted to ask you Aisha like in 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 your profession obviously don't you don't have to get into the specifics or anything, but yeah. in your industry how is, you know, how are these types of experiences being discussed? Is this something that they're, you know, adding more attention to in terms of just the industry as a whole? Can, can you speak to that? So with, within our experiences of all of, of, you know, being immigrants and having these experiences of uh, acculturation, which is a huge thing, acculturation stress is huge, um, and uh, different aspects of, of being in or in surviving and growing up in these areas where it's it's happening more often than not right now counseling and mental health counseling is picking up right you could see with the pandemic even before that a little bit it started to gain more momentum more insurances are covering it um you can find a lot of more individuals that are offering it on a sliding fee or sliding scale basis so that people who people who don't have insurance could potentially afford it you know and so within our field there are you know, conversations about multicultural counseling. Um, there is parts of all of our uh, our two, three-year programs or a master's or whatnot where you do have to do multicultural counseling, right? Um, but it is individuals like us who are, if for me, for example, not a lot of people knew about um, the DACA experience or even the term DACA or Dreamer when I started my program because really? that was passed in 2012. Um, and I started my grad school in 2014. So I go into my grad school, I'm considered an international student, but I'm not really not an international student Yeah. when I explained it to them, you know, and then so no one knew what it was about, right? And so it takes individuals like us in, in starting that conversation. Um, and I think there's a long way to go. There is a long way to go because we can talk about being there for others and we can talk about creating a safe space um, but if there aren't a lot of us who've gone through that, who've experienced that talking about it or offering these talks and these these um, types of spaces that you and other individuals are offering, then others won't know about it, right? They won't know that these individuals have existed and here is what they've experienced because like you, I, I that abandonment is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, and the other part of it is that I don't like thinking my parents abandoned me, right? I don't like, I feel guilty for feeling that. But also, too, if you look at the facts, it feels like it. Yeah. You know, I worked three jobs through undergrad, three jobs through grad school um, with a full-time, you know, school schedule. And so I was on my own. You know, I, I realized that I was on my own because we couldn't hold jobs that were going to pay us a lot. We exactly. had to do more than one. You know, we had to figure out ways to yep. make ends meet because we didn't have scholarships. And thankfully, I was very, very, very grateful and blessed that, I was able to get a graduate assistantship and I was able to get scholarships, you know, and now when you look at the progress, because there is progress, and I want to point that out because there are institutions and states that are offering in-state tuitions for students who are, who consider themselves and identify as DACA. Um, I'm in Texas now. Texas has TAFSA, which is their version of FAFSA, um, which is for all Texas residents, you know, um, regardless of your uh, immigration status. You know, and so individuals and places and people are, are, are there is progress, um, but I, I don't think it's where it needs to be, you know, and um, unfortunately, that is, uh, that's the case, but I know it's changing, 
because people are talking about it, you know, TikTok and, and social media and Instagram and podcasts, like what you're doing, you know, people are talking about it. So I think what it is, is trying to offer that feeling of, hey, this is a place for you. Tell me about this. Let's teach the people about this. Exactly. I, I know that several states have passed their legislations that have enabled um, undocumented youth to be able to go to mm-hmm. post-secondary education yeah. and pay in-state tuition. I know Utah specifically, because yeah. that's where I got my, my undergraduate uh, degree. Mm-hmm. They have HB 144, House Bill 144, which basically says that like if you graduated from a Utah high school and you meet certain other criteria, you can qualify for in-state tuition. And yeah. That is such an amazing and impactful thing because what that does is not only does it allow, you know, undocumented youth to be able to get more education at an affordable rate, but it also Mm -hmm. signals to our community, and I think I'll extend this collectively as well, I think that that signals to our collective uh, community that people are aware of our needs. People are understanding and looking to try to make things better for us. I mean, like Mm -hmm. you said, and you hit the nail on the head, which is, We've come a long way, and DACA has pushed a significant weight of that, you know, uh, movement. But the reality is, you know, unless there's more formal, a more concrete legislation that picks up from DACA, the reality is it's on us to continue to demonstrate the value of why the general American population needs to care about our communities and specifically yeah. continue to provide DACA as an avenue. Because here's the thing, you brought up the fact that during the pandemic, we realized that mental health is ever, it's needed more now than ever before. And now mm-hmm. we need more individuals, more experts, professionals to be able to provide the support. You start seeing companies offering mental uh, awareness, mental health programs as part of their benefits packages. And you start to see this shift culturally as a, as a country that this is something that is, is important to us. This is something that we, that we need. And so we're, I think we're making great strides in being able to address these types of, of situations. Um, but like you said, we, 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 there's still a long way to go. And I feel that you know it's on us dreamers who took advantage of the DACA program early on and have been able to graduate and now are in our mm-hmm. professions to lift and inspire the next generation Mm -hmm. of DACA students, right? Because the reality is we Mm -hmm. don't know when the next law is going to come. We don't know Mm -hmm. when DACA 2 or DACA 3 is ever going to be introduced. But we can do things now. We can continue to demonstrate our value. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, Aisha, you are doing amazing things, which is why when you reached out and and we connected and was like, hey, like, let's get you on. Because it's (laughs) like, I've been wanting to have this type of conversation with somebody who understands the reality of it because very few people do and it's ta- it's it's hard to find people who are willing to connect and be open about not only their story but also the com- the collective story and so you know I-, I wanted to kind of ask a question you kind of touched on it yeah. briefly but which is why do you think mental health is important specifically for the undocumented communities so mental health is just so important regardless just because it's, it's a part of who we are, right? Our brain um, designates how we act, how we feel, how we think, how we move forward in life, right? And in undocumented communities, um, the majority, from my understanding and my experience of it, the majority experience is very difficult. You know, it's a very difficult experience. It's a very stressful experience. Um acculturation stress which I, I touched upon before is, is huge because you're you're coming usually the idea is you're coming into the United States when you are undocumented or when you are an immigrant um, and you're acculturating to a completely different majority culture which is creating a lot more stress you know and stress affects everything in our lives you know cortisol levels in our brains in our um, in, in in ourselves increase the ease reactions that we have with stress you know and if that's not figured out if that's not looked into if that's not talked about if that's not um at least addressed in some way or form then our ability to move forward in our respective lives may be 
may not be as, as great as we need it to be, right? And mental health allows us to feel the things that we want, right? To feel the happiness and that contentment and um, that ability to move forward in in, in finding things and, and feeling accomplished and successful. And if we have all of these experiences that have continuously battered us, right, um, for undocumented individuals, all of these barriers and all of these, all of the talk, you know, that people talk about, all the things that you hear. You know, I remember distinctly the anxiety I felt during the Trump administration. You know, it, 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 it was in my bones. Um, yeah. And I had to go the next day in Missouri uh, and because that's where I went to grad school mm-hmm. and talked to a client who was like, oh, my God, I don't understand why everyone's angry. Like you should, you know, a lot of rhetoric that was not great. And I, thankfully, I had supervisors who sat me down the next day and like, all right, I know this is tough. Let's talk about it, you know, and I have that ability to have a supervisor to talk about it. But the people who are undocumented, the people who are not um, aware of these situations, of these resources, they might not have it. Right. Um, and it's important for us to address that just because everyone deserves the right to be happy, to do well. And, and you know, they talk about the American dream, right? It's just a very interesting um, statement. Um, and, uh, and, but it is a dream, right? We all have dreams, and we all have the ability to, to, to think that, okay, if we do this, if we move here, if we do this movement – it is fulfilling some hope of a dream that we'll have in our future, right? Um, and so it's important to address that and to be like, hey, what am I going through? What can what can I do for myself or other people in order to feel better and to do better? And mental health is at the root of it, right? Mental health is is the barriers to all of that. And and if figured out, if addressed, can allow us to do more and dream better and to find roots to to be. Uh, the better potential that we want to be. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that is it's okay to feel it's okay to feel what we're feeling, but to look mm-hmm. for help. I think that's the biggest takeaway yeah. that I, I'm having from our conversation is, look, we're all experiencing different versions of the undocumented experience. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, in your experience being from Bangladesh, like your it, your experience is going to be far different from you mm-hmm. know like someone like myself being from Mexico. Or my friend mm-hmm. who's from Chile, their experiences yeah. are far different than, mm-hmm. you know, somebody from England whom I know is undocumented, but he, because he looks Caucasian, will probably never get asked his papers. People will probably never ask him whether or not he is undocumented or not. Mm-hmm. But that's just the reality is we all have different experiences, yeah. different backgrounds. We're all living a life where we're having to deal with these stresses, where we're having to consistently worry about like, how are we going to live tomorrow and the day after Mm -hmm. that and so forth. But one thing that stands out, and I think you said this before, which is, you know, like basically converting hopelessness to hope, have that vision of your American dream. And if that American dream is going to school, you go out and get it. Right. Mm -hmm. If your version of it is to buy a home for yourself and your family, then go get it. Mm -hmm. If your Mm -hmm. version of it is to be happy and live a tranquil and peaceful life, then go get it. You know, Mm -hmm. and the nice thing is now we do have people like you, Aisha, who can provide the context that we need. I will be honest that I wish I would have met someone like you when I was kind of going through my personal struggles. I mean, I still go through yeah. them today because like I said, yeah. you know, like my experience was just a couple months ago where I was driving and I had my panic attack. But I yeah. realized that we, by conversing and sharing my story and sharing the stories of other people, like that's therapeutic in a way. It's 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 a mm-hmm. way for me to kind of release these, these, these stresses that I felt, you know, because yeah. for me, you know, I, I didn't experience, you know, you know, deportation in that regard, like Norma saw yeah. in her story. But that fear mm-hmm. is there, that fear of like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, if the police officer pulls me over because my busted tail light and he mm-hmm. asked me, hey, where's your driver's license? And he sees, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if in Texas or Louisiana, you guys have kind of a similar theme, but in Utah, mm-hmm. you could get a driver's license. If you're undocumented, you could get a driver's license, but it has like a mm-hmm. big P for permit or R for restricted. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it mm-hmm. is, but basically you see that driver's license, you know that person yeah, you have doesn't a have mark. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have a mark. And so there's fear in that, you know, 
And so the thing that I've realized is like, yo, we as a society, as young people, the future of this country, we need to come to terms with the things that have hurt us, overcome Mm -hmm. them so we can make the changes that we need for the future generations. Right. Because the reality is this country is becoming more diverse. It's not going to it's not going to revert back to the old ways of the early 1900s, right? We're, we're moving forward in a new direction. And it starts with us as, as leaders. It starts with us telling our stories. It starts with us taking the initiative to create something like a podcast or a YouTube channel where we're discussing these things. And that's why Aisha, you are a staple in our collective community. Uh, The, the people that you are servicing in Texas and Louisiana are, are at a great advantage you know they have a great individual who understands their needs and so i wanted to ask a question based off of that which is to your knowledge is there a is there a website or is there a resource where an undocumented individual can go to to find a licensed professional who maybe has that that background who can speak to maybe what they're experiencing as an undocumented person so I know that United We Dream has a mental health toolkit, and I think they they tried to do something in relation to finding to creating a directory, um, but I'm not too sure if they've if they've you know compiled it completely or whatnot. Um, I do know that when because telehealth is so big now, right? Yeah. And so when you look for a therapist, you can use psychology um, today, I believe, um, to kind of do some research on that therapist. And find um, their biography or find their bio and their information about who they serve and what their techniques and theories are. Um, and a lot of individuals do put that on there, that, you know, they've worked with dreamers, they've worked on undocumented. Um, but also, too, just to ask. I think it's really, really important. And one thing about finding a therapist or finding a counselor is that you're, you're the first one might not be the one that you stick with, Right. Um, that's a big thing that we try to tell all of our students and clients is that there, there, it might take a bit of looking around and fishing around to find a therapist that, therapist that works for you, but it is important to, to seek it out, to ask, you know, hey, um, do you know anyone who's worked with dreamers before, undocumented individuals before, immigrants before? Um, I know United We Dream, and then there are several other um, grassroots organizations who can at least try to... Um, try to connect you with individuals and as you're asking me this question i also want to get in touch with them and, and be like can we can we move this forward you know because because it is important um just like it is important for us to find individuals who know some of our experience right um who who are aware of hey what it's like to grow up with this experience or that experience it's important for us to give this type of experience and have a therapist or have a social worker or have a psychologist who's aware of, of the undocumented experience. And so all I know, I guess, would be that United We Dream um, Psychology Today is usually good at giving you information or biographies or bios of um, of any therapist that you want to do if you're considering to look them up. But I would also say, hey, you know, look into whenever someone is looking for a therapist, look into their biography, look at their reviews, you know, and do not ever be afraid to, after your first appointment or second appointment, be like, hey, it's not, I don't feel good, you know? Um, because this is, when you start talking to someone, when you start talking to a therapist or a counselor, I think it's such a courageous thing to do for someone because it's not easy. It's not easy for us to be vulnerable to other people. And so when you do that, it's such a courageous thing. So give yourself that empathy and grace to find someone who's worth your story, you know? And if you don't feel comfortable, then you find someone who you're going to feel comfortable. And and hopefully in time, you know, as we've seen the progress of of undocumented, of DACA, of the dreamer, we'll also see the progress of different individuals coming out into the forefront. You know, there was a time when I was scared to say that I'm DACA, um, you know, and now I, I want that to be known, you know, and I want my people to ask, well, what does that mean, you know? Um, and, and I want to be like, oh, this is, this is what this means. I know, I'm sure you know a lot more people like that, you know, and, and thankfully I'm in a state where I'm meeting a lot more people um, who know others or who are themselves uh, identified as undocumented or a dreamer, and, and it's, it's creating a lot more dialogue, you know, it's creating a lot more ability for us to move forward and do things like this, and so 
allow yourself that whoever seeks out, you know, ask those questions. Make sure that you feel comfortable in that space. And, and if you're not feeling comfortable, if you don't feel that person is connecting to you, then find someone who will. Because there will be someone. Exactly. And I think the biggest thing that I would hit on is just if you're listening to this podcast and wondering whether or not you should, yes, you are worth it. You are a valued person. You are unique and you deserve to, you know, improve who you are today by making, mm-hmm. by addressing your feelings. And if it means having to, you know, shop around to find the right person who can speak to exactly what you're feeling, you know, do it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. You're not a bad person because the one, in, the one therapist or counselor didn't get it. Do your shopping, mm-hmm. you know, you'll find the right person. And again, you matter. We all matter. And that's why I created this podcast, because collectively we will make ourselves stronger. Collectively we will make ourselves better. And as we continue to have these types of discussions, we're going to realize that we're healing. Yeah. You know, and and that's exactly what we need. And we're so resilient. Yes. We're so resilient. And when you start to see that you are a very resilient individual because the things that you've gone through are not easy, they're not. And once you start accepting the fact that your strength comes from your experiences, I know it's exhausting when we, when people tell us, oh my God, you're so strong, you've gone through so much. It's exhausting to hear that sometimes. Well, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You know? However, look at that and be like, I did that. I went through that. You can't tell me that I can do better than, I can't do better than this because I can. Because I did things I wasn't even prepared for. Now, I know that I can do it much more than this. And that's, that's really important to, for all of us to remember. Beautifully worded. Aisha, I, that brings us kind of to the top of our podcast. But um, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe to ask yeah. questions or, you know, just to be pointed in the right direction, where can people reach you? How can they get a hold of you? Um, so email, I suppose. Um, my Instagram as well. Um you know, I don't mind at all. Um, do you want me to my email? Do you want me to say my email? It's or? entirely up to you. It's, it's yeah. on you. Yeah, you can you can email me at um, akadri101 at yahoo.com. Um, and, you know, just let me know if you have any questions, if I can help with anything, um, with any type of experience, or if you need me to help you, you know, find someone for wherever you're at. Um, anything I can do I will and if I can I'll try to find someone who can um because we're here to you know the helper seeks to help because they know what it's like to be helpless and that's how I try to move forward in everything that I do you know um because I don't want people to feel alone in these this thing the world is already harsh like that is not what I want to emanate you know and so reach out to me um, you know, email me if you need to connect in any other ways, we can figure that out. Um, but I am here for you. Uh, we're all here for you and we want the best. We want things to improve and, and we hope that you see that you're capable of it a hundred percent. And what is your Instagram, uh, handle so oh, people can yeah. find you? <laughs> it's at A-Y-E-S-H-A-R-K. Wonderful. Aisha, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and your beautiful words with those of us listening to the Dreamer Diary podcast. Uh, I hope people can come away with this podcast feeling inspired to reach out to somebody who can help them, you know, heal. And that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. And so um, for those listening, uh, continue to support this channel, continue to, you know, support those that have joined the podcast as guests uh, again because as a as a collective community we will build on each other and we will strengthen one another we will become un- immovable objects in this world where everything wants to move us in different directions so let's let's continue to build build on on you know the things we heard today and support one another and uh, on that note we'll catch you all in the next one.